Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 105 of the Revive Yourself podcast. Here we go. Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Have you got a health issue that just won't go away no matter what you try? Then welcome to the Revive Yourself podcast, where we reveal the secrets to long-lasting health by getting to the root cause of problems that no one else is talking about. So you can have more energy, clear skin, healthier hair, a leaner physique, more confidence, and most importantly, do the things you love and live the life you deserve. Here's your host, Ryan Martin. So guys and girls, welcome back to the show, episode 105. Um, had some real good episodes recently. A lot of people loving the episode we had last week with Dr. Nick Berry from Essential Oil Wizardry. Absolutely fantastic. I mean, have some real great episodes um, coming up. And with that, actually, if you if you if you haven't listened to it, go and listen to it. Episode 104. Uh, he Nick uh, has also put Dr. Nick, I should say, has also put a a great offer for us guys. If you go to www.essentialoilwizardry.com forward slash revive. Any essential oil you get there, top, top end essential oil, best in the world in my opinion, uh, and you put in the code REVIVE, you're going to get a 10% discount from any of the products that you um, that you buy. Same as well, if you're heading over to blueblocks.com, they're going to be blocking out the, the, the blue light um, at, at night, which has been linked to all sorts of hormonal issues, endocrine issues, uh, and obviously cancer. We want to stop that as well. Head over to blueblocks.com. You put in the, the code REVIVE, you're going to get a 10% discount off of the specs there too. Different style frames, which are awesome. And also, if you head over to www.reviveyourself.co, we've got our shop there. Click on that link, and we've got all different high-quality products from Evolution Organics, from the Finchley Clinic, as well as Airy Tech with our... Um, electromagnetic frequency blocking products and also the Aquatare filtration system which is phenomenal best in the business in best in the business in my opinion uh, gets rid of every, all the nasties um, almost up to 100% so you can get very very clean water I remember you're not just drinking this water you're washing your clothes in it you're brushing your teeth in it and you're washing your bed linen etc in it so this is all, all going to be going onto your skin every, every time you alarm's gone off every time you um use the tap remember everything you do with it it's going onto you and it's going onto your children so having the clean healthy water is an absolute must in my opinion um as for as for anything else today's guest um is mike salimi and um from mike salimi dot io actually i think it is let me have a, it's a quick like he's got a, got a strange website mike it's uh Mike Salimi, yeah, dot io, as I said before, but you can also find him, Mike Salimi, on Instagram, it's where he's most, um, most prevalent, I should say, he's an absolutely wonderful guy, he's another Czech trainer, but it's not how he, he didn't actually just stumble into it, he actually worked one-on-one -on -one with Paul Czech to, to heal some injuries, which we're going to in the podcast, and um, he's a former world kettlebell champion, um, so he, he knows a bit about the uh, athletic room we talk a lot we go into lots of different things as well all about um food we go into about psychedelic drugs and performance and just different modalities of training and it's a real fascinating interview it's a real fun interview he's a top top guy and someone that um i need to be meeting up with soon um he also talks about anyone who's looking to do a plant medicine journey they have got um some space down in costa rica 
towards, towards the middle or end of May. But without further ado, I'm going to introduce you to Mike. So here he is, his episode. Enjoy, and I'll see you on the other side. You've been traveling quite a bit, haven't you? Yeah, it's been pretty much nonstop, like almost pretty much every week. Every week I'm either teaching or uh, teaching at a conference, workshop, cert, or you know, taking a, a course as well. And, and also you've been like um, promoting your new um, Bulgarian bag, right? Yes, yeah, so the Bulgarian bag I promote a lot. I just came out with a kettlebell program a few weeks ago, right. uh, my first online program, so I've been pushing that as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I actually have a look on your site. Um, yeah, I, I just noticed that it's good. It looks, it looks really, it looks really good. I mean, is it um, something people can get on their phone on their app, or is it just mainly an online course? So they can do it on on their phone. Uh, the login isn't the easiest, but it is all mobile friendly and stuff like that. It's not a specific app yet, but if you log in on your phone, like everything, like it's all optimized for for the phone, but just not in a specific app yet. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, because I, I looked around um, a little while ago, and I thought that I thought it was new. I thought oh, I must have missed this because I know obviously you're uh, <laughs> big into kettlebells, like champion, etc. So um, I've actually one of my um, well, my friends actually, Gay Roth- Rothwell. He's uh, Big into kettlebells. I think he's a British champion. He's a, I think he's a master. He's a master's age group though. Uh, he's really really into it. And you guys, um, it's hard, mate. Hard work. It looks yeah. like I think you think you're nuts. I don't know how you got your hands left after a while. <laughs> like it seems pretty um, pretty intense. I mean, I do want to get into that, but it's uh, it's it's, it's um, yeah, it's good fun getting to speak to you, Mark. Because I know we've got some uh, um, mutual friends. Warren being one of them. Um, you know Warren for quite a while, right? Yeah, Warren Williams. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Just through the Czech, you know, the Czech community, and I was recent. I stayed with him when I was out in the UK recently, uh, a few months back. Yeah. So got to connect with him a little bit more. Yeah, he's a he's a. I mean, to be fair, I've got had quite a lot of Czech um, Czechies on or Czech professionals on because generally, even though I'm not qualified myself, we sing from the same hymn sheet. You know, I'm very much into that holistic uh, approach, and it's something that um, I mean, he's. Amongst people that know Paul Check and their programs have always been quite, quite big. But having him recently been on a few podcasts, it seemed to have exploded. Right? It seemed to have got pretty, pretty big. Uh, I think you were the one who put him in touch with the guys at Mind Pump. Yes. Yeah, because they were like at the start, they were a little bit, few a bit skeptical, etc. And you, you were like, listen to them speak. I think you were saying, you were saying, now he's the real deal. Like he knows what's going on, and uh, they seem to have a great relationship now. Yeah, yeah, and he's, it's so cool to see Paul's finally message really, you know, he's always been pushing it, but actually like really, really getting out there, you know, that's yeah. been really neat. Yeah, it's awesome, because you start, so, so go back, because I almost want to go into like, you, you've, you've been working with him, or, or you worked, didn't, didn't you um, employ him when you were doing it, I mean, was he one of his clients for even quite far back? Yeah, so I was a one-on-one client with for Paul for two and a half years, where every single month I'd fly down to San Diego to work with him for one or two days. Oh, that's awesome. How old? How long ago was that? That was uh, shoot. We're in 2019. Probably, I think we wrapped that up. That intense, intense coaching, maybe about a year and a half ago. Maybe two. Uh, maybe two years. No, actually, yeah, about two years exactly. Okay. Much. And so, you how long were you working with him just one to one? Well, two and a half years. So yeah. two and a half oh, years. Right. So I think we started in 2013 or so. Yeah. Like 2013, 14, 15. Yeah, somewhere's around there. Oh, awesome. And that and that was was that to try and get you to to the championship level, world championship level. 
The main, honestly, the main reason was to help rehab uh, an orthopedic issue that no one could figure out. It essentially was a compartment syndrome in my left arm, and he was the only person after about, before that, I was seeking almost nine to ten different practitioners all over the country who could help me figure it out, and he was the only one. And so once he really identified the root cause of the issue, which was a number of different things, then I was like, okay, wow, like I want to go deeper with this guy. So it started in the rehab process. And then towards the end of our coaching work, then working a little bit more higher performance. I mean, I was competing all throughout the time, but the first few months was all purely corrective exercise and rehab. Really? And so, okay, so how long, so you've been an athlete all your life? Yes. Yep. And um, I mean, even now you, you coach your own athletes at university level, correct? Uh, so I was a, a D1 strength and conditioning coach, a Division One strength and conditioning coach, but right now, most of my work has to do with just traveling, teaching. So if I do work with teams or with coaches, it's not like I'm with them for the whole season okay. or anything like that. Cool. And so, so getting into it, because I want to get into that injury. I mean, how? So, what was that? Was that an injury you'd had for for years? Was it something that was developed from kettlebells? How did that injury injury come about, come about? You know, I didn't really even know really what was happening. Well, the interesting thing is, is it pretty much started when I started competing in kettlebells because I remember, you know, I've been competing in kettlebell sport for almost about 10 years now. Yep. And I remember even from the very, very early days, anytime I would do any hard effort in the gym or in competition, I would get this compartment syndrome or motocross racers get it, uh, as I found out later, um, in their forearms as well. Usually runners get it in the legs, but motocross racers also get it in the forearms. So they get this massive pump in their forearms. And so, Pretty much as early as I can remember with kettlebell sport, not so much just lifting kettlebells in general, but anytime I was trying to do a strength endurance activity, so multiple minutes on end without setting the bells down, that type of effort would always blow blow my forearm up. So it would be like a, a, a sweating around the, around that area. Massive sweat. So massive sweating. It's it's actually funny. So I was clearing out an old phone of mine mm-hmm. the other day. Pictures of and it. When I was looking through it, I saw some of the old pictures. I should actually post it on social media because I have both arms, one next to the other, and you could just see just this massive edema, this massive pool uh-huh. of blood. And when that would happen, and the fascial compartment essentially was constricted with all that blood just trapped in there, it would cut off not only obviously circulation but uh, nervous system activity. And so I'd start losing feeling in this arm like very, very quickly. And so it was quite painful. Like. Uh, not so much a sharp pain, but like a dull, like someone essentially uh, almost was like stepping on a garden hose. Like right. he had yeah, a yeah, hose yeah. and someone was just putting that pressure and water was just trying to squeeze out. So it was quite painful. And I worked through it for quite, you know, quite a few years, but it always was the limiting factor holding me back from achieving the numbers I was trying to hit. Yeah, 100%. I mean, willpower is amazing. We talk about this with a lot of, <laughs> a lot of, a lot of, a lot of coaches, you know, they say <laughs> athletes. Um, succeed despite their coaches because you know they that will to get out on the pitch that will just to play will get people a long a long way until eventually that's where gets the athletes instead of having like little injuries or which they shouldn't get anyway they have like big blowouts because they've been they've been having or been dealing with these underlying issues for a long period of time until they they can't take it anymore and um, I mean the willpower just to get out and if you're using kettlebells and it's on your on your forearms I mean that must have been excruciating there's a lot of willpower to go through that um, but you said it was an orthopedic problem, the reason you went to him. Yes. 
So that was yeah. so 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 you how did you resolve this issue the issue with your forearm? Well, so you know the interesting thing, if I look back, you know, I was working with a Czech level three practitioner at the time, mm-hmm. and he was pretty much his name was Johnny Suarez, super, super smart guy. And he was essentially honestly for those two years before seeing Paul, he was kind of quarterbacking the rehab journey and really sending me you know, a lot of it was a process of elimination, like, hey, go see this Rolfer. Let's see if, if he can help, in addition to all the check stuff I was doing with him. And then he's like, okay, you got a little bit better. That didn't help. And then he was like, okay, well, you have an atlas axis subluxation. Let's have you go see a Nuka chiropractor. Let's see if that would work. So I'd go see these people for usually anywhere from one to three months, give it a dedicated effort, one new therapy at a time, fully commit. And Johnny would test and retest before and after, and we'd keep in strong communication throughout the process. And then after two years, he goes, you know, I've kind of taken you as far as I can take you. And we've really ruled out about cranial sacral therapy, uh, acupuncture, all sorts of things. And he's like, I think now we need to kind of bring in the big guns. (laughs) Yeah. And so we went to Paul, and, you know, he confirmed a few things. One, that I had a quite significant atlas axis subluxation that needed to be worked on. So that was one of the, the big culprits. Then also I had an anatomical short leg that we confirmed via, via specific x-ray. I think it's called like a scanogram. Oh, but um, essentially they're measuring the bones of the lower limb. And so I had, I forget, I think it's like anything below five millimeters isn't really significant because we all adapt and we all have different anatomies. Yeah, I think that's what Warren, because Warren's on test on me as well, and I think he says like anything below five, is you're okay, but above that, you can get issues. Exactly, and I had eight, and then when you think about the sport and the nature that I'm in, I'm in a, you know, I, I think potentially maybe, even if it was five, this is just my own personal experience, like even if it was five and below, but the nature of your sport yeah. is one repetitive and then two repetitive in the same movement pattern. So in the clean and jerk, my feet are fixed and I'm fully in the sagittal plane mm. and then going to extreme, extreme fatigue. And so eight millimeters was quite significant and it was explained a lot of what the pains and the kind of the, the tensions that I was holding in my body. So we had like an atlas axis subluxation. We had an anatomical short leg. Uh, there was also some gut issues that was also contributing to some stuff in my in my arm. So shoulder, yeah. Shoulder, yeah, stomach and the left shoulder, that correlation, that reflex loop. Also had thoracic outlet syndrome um, because a lot of times the kettlebell sport posture, the strategy that we use in kettlebell sport from a competitive standpoint is not necessarily conducive to optimum function and Health. optimum posture. <laughs> Health, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah doing it to win but not necessarily always for a lot, a lot of sports are like that you know that's that's like uh, <clears throat> i mean i play rugby for a long period of time it, it's fun but i mean for your health running into big people and with your shoulders and head isn't probably the best for your health the same as football any of these sports you know repetitive crossfit as a sport you know it's not great for your health but it's it's competitive and as men it's it's fun you know you're, you're testing yourself but so, so sorry to interrupt, but so you had that going on. So you had that's about four or five things going on. Four or five <laughs> things, and then some, you know, some some technique stuff that we needed to clean up and improve. And then I just had, you know, being coming from a powerlifting and Olympic weightlifting background, I'm such a fast twitch athlete that what I found was, you know, my my motor, like the motor of my car, is so strong, relatively speaking, in comparison to the nuts and the bolts. So. My, my power system is so much more developed than, let's say, my stabilizer system. And so when you're doing a 10-minute long event, which is what I'd have to compete in, essentially I can't set the bells down. And so as soon as my stabilizer system would go and, and kind of max out, 
I would start getting a lot more shaky in my lifts, especially in the overhead position. And I would be asking essentially from my movers to do the job of stabilizers, what they're not supposed to do. So what I found is a lot of, even if it's like 1% less efficient on every single rep, when you're doing 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 repetition, that really adds up. Um, and so the limiting factor ended up being my arm giving out. Yeah, it does. I mean, it's like um, the analogy I think uh, Polyquin used to use, or even I think even Paul might have started it. So it's, like, it's like shooting a cannon from a canoe, right? You've got big, powerful um, bodies, muscles, but if they're stabilized, it's the same. I, was, I went to see Warren um, because I had um, plantar fasciitis in my left foot, and I knew that wasn't the issue. And I went, I had my atlas was out as well. Certain things were off. I went to see him, um, and I've, I'm trying to get to the point now where, um, it's just for me, I know exactly. Being an athlete and being a sportsman, you, you really enjoy the lifting, like really enjoy the competing. You need to get into um, maybe a bit, just a bit more like the, as they said, the primary, like the stretching, like the stretching. Always see a bow to stretch, uh, a stretches and things like that, but. It's really tough when you've got limited time to try to not so limited time, but like otherwise you'd be training. So you can train. So you can, so otherwise you can train like two, three times a day. But the stretching aspect and getting functional and not having these issues just from sitting down, you know, sitting down too much or or not moving enough, walking. It's, it's very different to doing some gymnastic moves or being very functional. You see, like this um, idle portal, this movement culture sort of coming in. And it's really good. I'm all for it. But even for someone that does a lot of sport and is very active and hasn't got that many patterns wrong, I that for me is a struggle. Like trying to move in a certain way, hip flexors or this groins from so many years of running and playing sport like that, very tight in these in these in these um, areas. I mean, do you find that with your training? Do you big into movement culture as well? Yes, yes. I've always been into it in like. When I look at some of the things that have helped the longevity of just just my, my, my fitness and my sporting career up to this point, a lot of it has to do with what I do outside of training. In fact, so much more, probably if I were to say break down the percentage, I mean the training aspect is, I mean I don't even know, but let's say like 50% of the work. The other work is the flexibility work, is the meditation work, is the floating, everything that I'm doing outside because I, I mean I really feel like like I've got a good base for sure in strength, fitness, performance. Mentally, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I've, I've tr- trained myself over the years to, to compete. But it's like the most important thing for me now is just making sure I go into a competition or in any type of serious bout or, or endeavor healthy and feeling good. Yeah. Because I know I can rely on my technical skill, which I'm always working on. But I've got a good technical base. I've got a good base conditioning base, good level of fitness. But if I'm not healthy, if I'm not going into a, if I'm going in nursing little injuries, and and especially at a, at a higher level, you're never, you're very rare if ever going to find an athlete that's not nursing something small. Yeah. And that that kind of comes with the territory. But I'm talking about like large things. Like as long as I go into it healthy, like feeling rested and feeling good, I know that I could do my performance would be so much higher in that type of scenario, relatively speaking, than being borderline overtrained. And feeling, you know, like like I've done everything in the gym. It's like I'd rather do less in the gym, but be technical and be rested than anything else. And that's that's a message that I've learned, especially with with athletes that I try and share and teach when I'm out there. It's like the number one thing is to go into a competition feeling excited, feeling mentally ready, feeling physically ready, because 
all the work, the reps and sets have been done. I mean, you've been training, we've, we've been training for months on end. So it's yeah. like the reps are already in the tent. The main thing is to go and making sure you're feeling good and feeling excited. Yeah, 100%. The reason, yeah, things like you mentioned there, like, yeah, floating or going for infrared saunas or whatever it may be, you know, getting your, get, get a massage or getting things like that. Absolutely fine. The flexibility is something that I need, personally need to work on. I'm, I'm not too bad, but I just know, you know, after playing sport for years and years, you just get certain issues and I'm like, and stretching is just so boring, but it needs to be done. It's so that's the problem, right? But I completely, I completely agree with what you're saying in terms of um, a lot of people are like overtrain. I think because they're not like you, because their, their diet's not right, because these other things aren't right. They overtrain to try and get their physical um, look a certain way. But if they got the rest of recovery right and their diet right, they they wouldn't have to do that so much. You know, they wouldn't. They would. It's amazing. Sometimes, like um, more uh, less is more. In a lot of times, you just say if you get your sleep right as well, your diet right, your movement. So, with why why kettlebells, though, Mike? What what got you into kettlebells? Because I'm going to have a few things I want to touch on, and you've got a lot got to cover. But why kettlebells? Because I mean, I mean they they have. They're quite prevalent now, and they've been around. And you know, especially you see most gyms have got a set of kettlebells, um, especially like quote unquote the functional parts of the gym or the functional training. You know, even though you know, most things should be functional um, if you if you're training properly. But like um, every, every pair, but you see some kettlebell. Like Gary mentioned earlier, he's got his own kettlebell gym as well. Why why kettlebells? What what was it about them that um, that drew you to them? Sure. Well, you know. One of the things that I'm doing right now quite a bit is I'm traveling all over, teaching workshops, teaching certifications, um, sharing just as much as I, I can with, with personal trainers, coaches, etc. And one of the things that I've noticed working with people over the years, especially athletes, one thing is we all have a unique personality, right? And we all gravitate to some of them, some of us are gravitate towards a range of different implements, but we all gravitate to a specific way of training that fits our personality. You'll have people that absolutely love running, and that's going to be their primary modality. You'll have people who absolutely love weightlifting. And so I really feel like, for me personally, every tool, I was just at the Arnold Sports Festival in Columbus, Ohio, and most of the population there, there's over 200,000 spectators plus 22,000 athletes, if I recall the exact number. And the vast majority of everyone there was bodybuilders. And there's there's tons of different sports represented, don't get me wrong. But when I was looking at people coming to my demonstrations and, and potentially even people in the workshops, a lot of them are big, big dudes, bodybuilders. And a lot of those guys or powerlifters, for example, they gravitate towards the barbell. So that implement attracts a specific type of person or a specific type of way of training. And Olympic weightlifting is no different. The Bulgarian bag is no different. A lot of the Bulgarian bag stems from the sport of wrestling. And so what I've really noticed is not beyond just the benefits, which I'll definitely go into and share what attracted me specifically to the kettlebell. For me personally, having a weightlifting background in Olympic weightlifting I first came, you know, to use a kettlebell and really I started first lifting kettlebells when I was at Westside Barbell, which is in Columbus, Ohio. Quite a, so, that's quite a famous place, right? Yes, yeah. For for powerlifting and coach Louis Simmons was using it to support the powerlifts and he yeah. was using at that time basic movements, swings and and stuff like that. And I was like, "Wow, this is a fantastic tool and I thought it really helped some of my powerlifts." So, my first experience with the kettlebell, first serious experience was there. But then when I came back home, I started taking courses and learning and studying as much as I could. 
on the kettlebell. And what I found was is, you know, one of my own personal struggles at that time as a strength and conditioning coach, I was I was working with Santa Clara uh, University, their tennis program, for example, and, and a few other colleges, baseball, volleyball, etc. And what I found was is not that, you know, certain levels of base strength wasn't important in using some of the lifts, but, you know, working with a team environment when you're doing barbell training isn't always the most conducive to a well-organized workout, especially yeah. when you take, for example, like implement athletes like baseball players or tennis players who their wrists and their hands and their extremities are so absolutely important. If you're to try as great of as an Olympic clean is, and I've got, you know, I love that movement, but just the flexibility and mobility required is quite demanding. 100%. And you know what I'm saying? So I was really looking for a tool that was potentially a little bit more favorable, a little bit easier to work in a group setting, something that I could even take on the field and on the court with these guys so I didn't always have to have them in the weight room. Um, and so that's really, at first, for, from a professional perspective, I was like, wow, this, this tool, I can take it anywhere with one weight. If I know how to use it properly, I can work a bunch of different performance abilities, strength, speed, power, agility, coordination, you name it. And I could take it outside with these guys. So from a professional standpoint, I thought it was really appealing. But then I was like, in one of the courses I was taking, um, one of the assistant instructors was a kettlebell sport competitor and he owned a gym. And he was like, you know what? This is kettlebell sport. I think you'd be really good at it. Here are the lifts involved. What do you think? Would you be interested in trying it out? And I was like, wait, so you're telling me it's Olympic movements, which I loved, clean and jerk, for example, but I have to do that for 10 minutes? And anything over three repetitions, to be honest, always sounded like a beast. And so I really loved the challenge of it. And so I was like, wow, this is, you know, going 10 minutes on anything is going to be really, really challenging. This movement that I love requires a tremendous amount of skill. And if I really learn this, it's only going to make me better as a coach when I'm learning, trying to teach a, at a technical level, at a high technical level to my athletes. So when I came back from one of the courses, this is well over 10, about 10, 10 plus years ago, uh, I hooked up with him and that's, that's really what got me into kettlebell sport. But, um, so that's kind of a few different aspects. It's kind of appeared at different points in my life, whether it was at Westside, being a strength and conditioning coach, really honing in on the needs that I needed as a coach, and then looking at my own personality, loving these Olympic movements, but wanting a new challenge, uh, kettlebell sport just fit right into that, for example. 100%, especially when you mentioned about athletes as well, having been at rugby, rugby circles, I remember when I was in Canterbury with the Crusade, like Crusaders Academy, and we'd have... Lots of different, I mean, you've got prop forwards there, hookers, locks, um, these are all different positions, rugby pitch, I don't know if you know this, but like, um, they're like flankers and number eights, and then you've got all the backs, which are scrum ass flyers, centers, wingers, and fullbacks, all very different people, very different, and so getting some of them to about to clean and jerk is, is I mean, it's impossible because different injuries as well you've got in that sport, but that's why with, with like um, people that could do it, fair, fair enough, but I always quite like this, like the pulls. You have to pull and drop, pull and drop, because you haven't got a catch. You haven't got problems problems with wrists. But and then that's where I was first introduced with kettlebell as well. With a condition coach called Ashley Jones, who's a Crusaders conditioner, um, done all all like the, the top conditioning courses. He's quite he's quite a famous guy. And uh, our warm up involved the, the kettlebell, getting used to that power movement. You know, getting used to getting your hips through. And it was a um, it was the first time I ever used it. I was like, oh, okay, interesting. I was. I was quite young at the time. Had been around with many gyms, but never seen one. Um, and ever since, this was, that was just about ten or fifteen years ago now. So it's been quite pre um, prevalent. Do you know then? Do you know Derek Woodski? 
No, I'm not familiar. You know, no, no, Derek, it was, it's, it's amazing because Derek um, was a was a teacher at first. I first met Derek when I did my Poliquin uh, course years ago. He was over here, and um, he was like a, a coach for the Poliquin setup back in the day. But he very much into his powerlifting, bodybuilding, Westside barbell, etc. Um, very good coach. And you you two would um, get along really well. He's from Canada, but he's um, he's got a big following. He's quite someone who's quite. Um, yeah, quite well, very well respected, I should say. He's a former uh, hammer thrower for Canada, um, so he's like a. And he was. I don't know if he actually made it to the Olympics, but he was quite. He was quite close. Um, just thinking because um, having. You, how old are you, Mike? For example, thirty-two. Thirty-two. So yeah, you're younger than me. You're you're maybe a bit younger. Yeah, Derek's. I think about ten years. I, I did. I was seeing if you maybe trained at the same place at the same time. Obviously, you'd know each other then. But um, yeah, interesting. No, I, uh, 100% um, kettlebells are, are great for people. Um, they're also just like, there's something, as you said before, you can take them away, you can use them anywhere. They're, they also, it's just a different aspect. It's getting people to, to move their body in a different way, right? Because weights, I mean, not everything comes with a shiny barbell on it. And but now to take it in different, different directions, you know, it gets, it gets you. Know, same with the, when I say you do the exercise with the Bulgarian bag, how long have you been using that now? Actually, about the same amount of time, about 10 years. Have you been and using it? Yeah, because you're pretty spe- you're spe- it's, it's, You've got that thing, like on a, it's like a yo-yo for you. It's ridiculous. I tried to do it the other day, and I was like, my God, this guy is ridiculous. I don't know what I'm doing here. <laughs> <laughs> they are pretty. You see you doing this. And the other, the other one with the ball on it as well, what's the, the ball? The suplex ball, yes. Suplex ball, yeah. It's very, uh, I mean, it looks like... Um, you need to need about ten years to get to get that good at it. I think it's like you've been working in the circus with the stuff, um, but it, it is very good. So so from so from that so from so from that you went into competing. Did you find that like your power because you're such a power athlete? Did you find that ten minutes a, a, a real struggle to start with? Was it like oh my god, this is this is a this is I mean, ten. I'll be honest with you. I've just started doing my time myself, and these three-minute rounds, seven three-minute rounds a day, it's a nightmare. Three minutes is bad enough, let alone ten. I mean, it's, do you find it quite quite hard to start with, brother? After ten years, it's still hard. It's still there's there's no, you know, I mean, cer- certainly I've learned a lot more over the years in terms of about programming, periodization, technical, you know, technical knowledge on the lifts, which made it. Getting to ten minutes a lot easier, and uh, and then of course being in, in a body now that that can sustain a little bit more of that type of training through the rehab work that I did with Paul. But regard ten minutes is just brutal for for anyone. Um, but is it, there is, is it the amount of reps you got doing that ten minutes? Is that who wins? Correct. Yeah, you can't set the bell down, and then the only rest. Well, depending on what event, my event was the clean and jerk primarily. I competed in snatch and jerk as well, but primarily long cycle clean and jerk. The only rest period you have is when the bells are extended overhead or when they're in the rack position at the chest. So you can't, let's say, hang like you're saying, um, let's just say, for example, like a farmer's carry. Mm. You can't hold the bells down at waist level and just try to last 10 minutes. And a lot of, like in Russia, like I was out there training in St. Petersburg, and they would always tell us, I was with the national team out there, they would always tell us like, um, something along the lines like like you're not a man unless you you go like no one drops the bell before ten minutes like they would rather die than set the bells down before ten minutes so you know you've kind of got two battles you're facing two two goals one of course is the the highest repetition that's what wins the comp even if you set the bells down at a certain time but then like 
your level of respect uh, largely is 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 surrounding this thing lasting 10 minutes so it's like getting 10 minutes is one victory and then the second victory as well is the repetition goal so if you put the bells down immediate disqualification not disqualification just that at that point the set is over and then whatever repetitions you got to that point right but but for them it's just like 10 minutes is the only option like it's either zero or 10 <laughs> got yeah and so you competed um in the clean and jerk is it a particular weight category just for people out there like to understand this do you compete in different weight categories or is it done an age or how is it done with kettlebells so there is like age categories as well but the most like the the the, the most the criteria we're really looking at primarily is the bell weight and there is different bell weights depending on the competition, but the professional professional division for men on the clean and jerk is two thirty-two kilo bells, and, and then body weight as well. So they're looking at body weight. So I was competing anywhere between seventy-three kilos and seventy-eight kilos, and then I was using the double thirty-twos, and then I would also compete in um, another category with two forty-kilo kettlebells, and I would do that for five minutes. So my next question is: Are you clinically insane? <laughs> to 40 kg people like the 40 kg kettlebells are bloody heavy to have two of them cleaner and jerk that's um, very impressive I mean to be, like people say it's 80 kgs 80 kgs clean and pressing 80 kg dumbbell barbell for that length of time I mean that's probably easy I don't know if it's easier to hold I don't know your forearms I suppose you can grip these a bit differently, but it sounds like it would be um, excruciating pain. I haven't actually ever tried a 10-minute clean and, and, and pressing the... Uh, I might... I might um, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. No, I'm I might I might give it a go. No, I might give it a go with Gary, actually, but it always just looks excruciating. But no, it's, it's, it's something that... It's something that I think it's one of those things in your head. Once you've done it once and you know you can do it, you're like, okay. But it's it doesn't get any easier, but it sort of doesn't get any easier, but it becomes more bearable, maybe. I don't know. Um, so that's no, it's awesome. So, so you did you did all so you, you worked with Paul to get yourself to the point where you're healthy and able to to compete at your highest potential. Then you actually become a Czech practitioner yourself, right? You, you're a level two coach. Uh, HLC two and then CP one. CP one, right? And how and how is that like different? I mean, having spent time with a level level three coach and I've spent time with Paul. Um, did you I mean was it quite easy to do the programs after that or I mean were you just like I need to learn more about this at a foundational level um, how did you find it all well so I was HLC2 I wasn't CP1 before I started working with Paul but I was HLC2 before I started working with Paul in mm. fact I asked him to coach me and to find out what was going on at the end of HLC2 and I was already doing those you know those few years with Johnny Suarez so I was already you know, and I and I've been studying Paul's work since I was eighteen. So I had been studying Paul's work for at that point, I think from when we started, approximately eight or so years from when right. we started, eight or nine years. And uh, I've been working at a holistic lifestyle center, all around Czech practitioners. So I was well versed in his philosophy and started taking courses. But there, it's it's one thing to certainly take courses, which is you know great. But it's a whole nother thing to work, I think, one-on-one -on -one with Paul and spend four to six hours, one day, two days, which, you know, everything that – one thing I can say honestly to anyone who's listening, I mean, what he teaches one-on-one -on -one is a direct reflection of what's in his courses. It's just when you have someone one-on-one -on -one in front of you, of course, 
you're just tailoring it to that individual and what they need. And so there were so many things that I was just blown away with. And, you know, not that I won't take more Czech courses, that's definitely on the radar, but so much of, of what I got with Paul one-on-one, I mean, it, it was just an amazing, am- learning learning about organ and glands and how to self-assess and correct and, and looking at every all the different systems. So it was a really fantastic experience working with Paul. And my goal actually this year is to take HLC3. I've been kind of putting it off for a little bit um, just to make sure I'm really, really ready for it. I might even take HLC2 again. It's I'm one of those guys, like, I'll retake a course 10 times because it's, uh, I think, depending where we are in our lives, like, we're all ready for a different amount of information. I think I pretty much eat, read How to Eat, Move, Me Healthy each year. And every single year for the last 10 years, I pick something new from it. Yep. And so my goal, I'll probably retake the courses, uh, you know, go up to kind of the check system a little more. But that that experience working with Paul was something something different for sure. It was really, really special. Yeah, I think it's a bit of a privilege. I mean, if, yeah, I mean obviously, he, uh, he cost a big buck. So, I mean, you've got to actually, first of all, be able to, to, to afford him. But second of all, if you're going to go and see him, you're really going to have to put in the work and, and, and make, make it worth your while. So 100%, I'm jealous about that to be honest with you, be able to work with him that closely. Uh, I think it would be a, a very eye-opening experience. But um, yeah, no, learning, it's there's so much information. The reason, like, because the way that I work with my things, we do a lot of distance coaching and with Paul, they work one-on-one with a lot of people and I think I think it's level three or level four. I think you've actually got to give case studies in when it comes to like, the assessments and things like that and be something that, uh, the structural assessments are a different level. If anyone, anyone, I always say to anyone who comes to me with any sort of injury, um, and we've corrected their diet, looked at their men- mental emotional state, looked at balancing their lifestyle, and they and they still get issues because it's obviously a, a structural thing. I always tend to go and find a level three or level four practitioner because I haven't ever seen an assessment anything like it by anyone else. Having worked with chiropractors and physios and everyone else, you know, their assessments are a different level and understanding that and that's I always say a lot of people have got I say to people all the time I always say to even a lot of my friends go and see Warren go and see Warren oh it's 500 pounds I was like it'd be the best 500 pounds for that assessment or whatever it is you'll ever spend because you'll get to understand what's going on with you and I think it's at a deeper level but having just like listening to him and anyone who's a component of what he does yourself uh, other people um, you get to understand that this is it's so much a bigger picture. I mean, recently, it seems to have been in in the in the health and sort of fitness world. I say fitness because fitness and health don't always go hand in hand, as you probably know, in the industries. It's been a big movement towards like um, psychedelics, right? And DMT and um, uh, ashwagandha, um, ayahuasca. What what are your what are your thoughts on this, Mike? Have you dabbled in any, any of this? Yeah, yeah. And and one thing, what what just to circle back to something you made me think about earlier, it's like. Just real quickly, you know, for anyone listening, like, I really do feel I'm in total agreement with you, brother. Like, the, the finances and the investment that you put in working with someone who's high level like that, whether it's Paul, level three, level four, it's going to pay you back multiple times over. And so, my work with Paul was not by any means without sacrifice. I was, well, even at a competitive level, I was also training jujitsu when I worked with him. I had to quit all that because I felt like it was just too risky. And I was putting, you know, all my emphasis on kettlebell sports. So I had to stop another sport that I was really starting to get involved in and really enjoyed. And then I was also in a master's of nutrition program in functional medicine. And then I was like, wow, like, you know, you have to make a choice. So I actually took all the fun. I dropped out of my master's program 
and took all that funds and put it towards coaching with Paul because I realized I was like, you know, I just have to make a choice. One, funds will run out. And two, like I have this once in a lifetime opportunity while I'm in good shape, kind of more or less in my prime and very motivated to compete and hit this goal that I've been trying for years and couldn't hit. And so I was like, where do I, you know, how am I going to make this happen? And so by no means was it without, not without sacrifice and did I, was it not stressful? But at the same time, looking back, it was the best investment I've ever made, not only from as an athlete, but also at, at all the other things that we worked on. And, you know, certainly we worked on the orthopedic side, but so much of it was about mental, emotional coaching, lifestyle management. How do you not only train for elite athletics, but also do so in a way that's dream affirmative so that it's not just you hitting your goal for one year and then you're done. But it's like literally I'm in I'm in the best shape now. And I was coaching with Paul dedicatedly about, like I said, two ish years ago. Um, That's when we kind of uh, now I start writing my own programs and stuff with Paul's blessing. But I'm in the best shape I've ever been in in my life and I wouldn't be in the shape, the health, the mindset that I am now if it wasn't for all that work that extended so much beyond just the physical side with Paul. And so um, if anyone, if I could just offer honest, just some honest advice and some honest recommendation, you know, in any time you invest in yourself, you're going to be get paid back multiple times. And when you're, when you're seeking out the best, like someone like a Warren or a Jator Pierre, Paul Check. Um, you know, some of these other masters like Dr. Givoyer, whatever it may be, whoever's you're going to be resonating with for the, for the, for the area you're looking for the most health and help and support in, it may be a struggle at first. Um, but I tell you what, if, if you really want it and you, and you really want to achieve something and you, and you're truly serious about your own health and, and potentially healing something that you can't figure out, it's, it's going to pay you back multiple times. So uh, it was the best investment I ever made. Stressful, but the best investment I've ever made. Um, no, that's awesome. So just to share that. No, no, that's awesome. We're going to the next bit. I'll, just, just to jump back on that. <clears throat> when I see you train now, I see you doing a lot of the kettlebells in Bulgaria and stuff. Well, I got my program for Warren. It involved a lot of stretching and it was a lot of... Um, it was, instead of being like... Because I'm someone who I like to get in the gym and get... I like to, pull weights, chin ups, push, whatever, like basically like your big like your big lifts or I like to do things like like um crawls and just different things and I'm quite I quite enjoy the change of it. Even like if it's circuits, you know, I like to quite to get on and get sweat and stuff. I know that it's not always conducive for cortisol and anything like that. So slowing it down. When with Warren he was like, right, we did things um generally exercise by exercise and it was things to, certain things to lengthen, certain things to strengthen and, and etc. With your training, do you still have that as, those aspects in now, or is it mainly um, just with the kettlebells and the Bulgarian bags, or is that is that a supplement to your other stuff? It's I would say my training is a combination of everything. And what's so beautiful about kettlebells, which I think we both agree, is the fact that they're multi-planar, multi-pattern movements, highly functional, constantly varied. Uh, but usually, I mean, my training program right now, because I'm taking a little break from competition. Uh, really just to focus on building my brand professionally and getting out there and teaching more, which which every one of these goals takes energy and effort. And if I was trying to compete and travel as much as I am, I would burn out. There's no way. Like just trying to stay healthy and vital while traveling as much as I do is, is hard enough. And so my training right now is a mix of kettlebells, Bulgarian bags, supless ball, the Hertz bands, of course, body weight training, infant development, always crawling patterns, 
I'll incorporate maybe one barbell exercise a week, one or two, like just foundational squat patterns and stuff like that. But uh, the tools that I'm using now, as I mentioned, it's primarily kettlebells, Bulgarian bags, soupless ball, and the and Swiss balls as well, and the and the bands. Uh, and so it kind of just cycles through. I usually don't have too many workouts where it's only one implement anymore. Um, maybe one or two workouts where it's just one implement in the training session. But more, most always it's like circuit format or something like that where I'll be utilizing multiple tools. And I feel like that's one area that I'm quite strong at in the sense of I've got a very good understanding of what each tool is very good with as well as also understanding what are the potential limitations of a tool that the other tools offer. So, for example, when you look at a kettlebell, I mean it's a fantastic multi-planner, multi-pattern movement. You can work all sorts of biomotor abilities, etc. But just as an example, with a kettlebell, you know there there is people out there, and I and I share this with students when I'm teaching. There is people out there with a high level of mastery who are using it for rotational movements, and you can use a kettlebell for rotational lifts and and stuff like that. But one, it takes a higher level of awareness and a higher level athlete who has a very strong base in the foundations. But a kettlebell is not very; it's not set up for rotational movements it's primarily sagittal plane when you say rotational movement do you mean like around your head do you mean like out side are you talking just moving it around the body what, what do you mean by rotational movements any rotational pattern okay like when you look at most all the kettlebell lifts <coughs> perform it's going to be like your swing your snatch and there can if a single arm snatch there can be a little bit of rotation it's going to be your clean your jerk your press forward lunge uh squatting uh, stuff like that. There is rotational movements, but it's just not the transverse plane is just not the dominant plane that you would utilize that tool for. Again, it can be done. It's just not what it's what the meat and potatoes is, I would say. 100%. But when you look at a tool like the Bulgarian bag, that was developed. You can train all planes. That was developed for rotation and the supless ball. So it's like that tool, not that I don't train rotation with the kettlebell, but when I really want rotational patterns like the supless spin or the arm throw, it's like that movement is beautiful as an expression of transverse plane movements. And so that's just one example in terms of not only does each tool tend to gravitate to a specific personality, but each tool has specific things that it's, it's very good for. Like a barbell, great for absolute strength because you can incrementally load it quite high. You're not going to typically max out with a one rep kettlebell weight unless you're doing a strict press yeah. because you, you know kettle, kettle, the way you progress typically with kettlebells is through complexity so uh just the complexity of movement and then also repetitions hence kettlebell sport it's like what's the highest repetition you can do in a certain amount of time but if you want to really test absolute strength then your barbell is going to be your tool for that yeah 100 percent. yeah it's uh yeah they say if if all you've got is uh a hammer, everything it's like a nail, right? So it's like knowing what tool to use for the right. No, but it's interesting because, um, so do you, because I see you going around, Mike, and obviously you've been in contact as you've traveled. I see you teaching a lot. Is that your own certificate, a certification that you're teaching there, or is it just you're teaching these, these people going to certain gyms that would like what you do and sort of teaching your knowledge, or is it an actual certification? So I teach for Supless Training Systems. So the Supless is the uh, coach Ivan Ivanov is the inventor of the Bulgarian bag, the Supless ball, the bands. So I'm one of his uh, one of his few uh, master trainers or pro trainers. And so I teach certifications on on the bag, and then I also teach workshops and the other tools because we don't have, for example, certification on the Hertz bands. Uh, we do have the ball certification, but so I do teach certifications for him. 
And then um, I'll teach workshops in El, uh, like Eldoa workshops, stuff like that. But in terms of kettlebells, to be honest, I'm still deciding. Uh, I have my online program. I teach one, two, sometimes three-day kettlebell workshops. And I've gotten asked quite a few times over the years to develop kettlebell certifications. I don't know. It's I just haven't quite made the decision if I want to do that, mainly because – you know, I've seen so many certifications and I've taken just about every single kettlebell cert there is over the past, you know, 10 plus years, 15 years, whatever. And it's just such a saturated market. And also it's like, for me, in general, certifications honestly don't mean too much. It's what the practitioner does with it. 100%. So just because someone tells me, oh, I'm, I'm this certified in kettlebells, I'm like, okay, great. Share with me, like, wh what cases have you helped? What people have you helped? What have you done as a practitioner? Let me observe how you move. Let me observe how you teach. Let me observe how you, how you share this information. That means much more to me than charging an extra 500 to 800 bucks for a live workshop where it's the same, the exact same information that I teach in a live workshop. Uh, and pretty much anyone could attest it. Any, the same information would be the exact same information, the exact same organization of material as I would teach in a cert, except it's, 500 to $800 less expensive. So for me, the main thing is just getting the information out and just connecting with those people who truly want to learn. Like I'll say first and foremost, like my educational style when I teach kettlebells and even my online program, it's over 450 videos with just one bell on foundational movements. And, and that's why it's like, it's not for everyone. It's not for your general pop, not saying I won't create programs for general population and just general fitness. But I honestly just want the most motivated of coaches and trainers who want to learn. And then that, that's my main focus more than making an extra 500 bucks and charging this cert. It's like I want people who want to work and are more interested, interested in the knowledge than anything else. Now, it looks like fun as well when you teach your courses. I was actually going to ask you, um, if you're not, um, where are you actually based in, in the U.S.? Where, when, you, when you actually are at home? Are you at home now? Yes, I'm at home. This is my garage gym. Perfect. I was thinking I didn't know if you was at someone's uh, gym or, or that situation. Where, where, where is home for you again? Is it California? San Francisco Bay Area. Yeah, like yeah. The like 30, 40 minutes south of the city. Perfect. I mean, it's gorgeous up there. I'm trying to maybe get over there in the summer, um, do the West Coast to get over and take this podcast on the road and um, a couple of people I want to go and speak to. But literally, I've interviewed so many people up and down the West Coast and uh, love an amazing, right, good easy to talk to some of them been on the show a couple of times it'd be good to meet them face to face and etc but like i mean that's where like the mind pump guys are right by you right there in the bay area yeah no wonder yeah they're um, i saw that they sponsor you as well doing well aren't you going all right, yeah. <laughs> they're going been, all right. Been hustling. i've been been grinding for a long time and you yeah. know it, it's it's slow slowly slowly catching you know, pain. no no it's good because this it happens it, it's same with mate it's the same with uh Everyone in this industry, you know, people come into it and they want to, they've been listening to people for ages and they want to take it up and they want to be an expert overnight. It's like, it doesn't work that way. People, you need to build relationships, people need to know you, you need to put yourself out there, you need to be willing to, you know, as Paul says, you know, pioneers have got arrows in their back, you've got to be willing to, to get out there and actually speak your truth and and build relationships and, it, and it's awesome. But when I see you actually teaching your courses, they look um like lots of fun. Looks like things that I really enjoy doing myself. I'm wondering if you, um, if you don't, if you're not, if you're back in the summer, it'd be great to go over and join up. But are you in London anytime soon? Anytime you want, brother. You have an open invite. Like this is my home, so it's like we can train anytime. 
I'd love, yeah, love to have you over. And I got so many tools in here. I've been collecting equipment for years. So people mainly know me for the kettlebell, I would say, probably. But uh, I mean, I, I mean, mace bells, club bells, Indian clubs. I've been using yeah, all this stuff yeah. for awesome. years. And it's, 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 we'll have, we'll have great fun. Yeah, yeah we'll it's good, it is good fun. Are you, are you over in Europe or in London anytime soon teaching? Because if people are around um, over here, they might want to know where, you, where you're going. Might want to join, join you. Yeah, yeah, I should actually have dates in the next few weeks for the next the next London trip. Awesome. And I think realistically I'm probably looking at like June to July 2019, so in the next few months. Um and I should know honestly in the next few weeks. I'm just trying to combine that with uh, teaching in Italy right now, so because the UK and Italy are two markets in Europe I'm really trying to, to focus on. so You don't actually yeah. hear much about, obviously, being in the UK, we get a lot of exposure to American um, audience. Um, don't hear that much of it. I mean, it's, it's Italy, for, obviously, it's got big, big, a lot of sports there, very, very um, prominent in football and, and even rugby now. So this sort of conditioning is getting bigger and bigger um, over there. But don't, I mean, probably good for you, you threw it in Italian, right? Yes, yes. So it works for you, you know. So it's like it works for you. I mean, generally, you don't see Spain gets a lot of Spain and Spanish-speaking countries get a lot, but Italy isn't one of the countries that generally I'd say many. Um, even when I've had courses, like people come in, come from France, uh, even Germany, Norway, but Italy. I've I've met one other guy, a uh, real nice guy, Diego. Uh, he's got his own facility. I think it's somewhere near Milan. Actually, he's he's really really good. He's massive into motocross, but. It's not somewhere that I've seen um, like that many coaches come from, but maybe that's just that's, that's because obviously I'm not in Italy. But they're not someone that comes. Whereas when you, you get speakers over here, a lot of people come to the UK to listen to certain speakers, etc. You know, um, but it's interesting. How have you found teaching in Italy? Has it been quite fun? I, I well, this last trip was the first time I had taught in Italy, and I've never taught in Italian. Like I can speak it. My both my parents are from there. I studied in Italy a little bit, but I've never taught actual training in Italian, and so it was a big challenge for me going out there and a big opportunity I wanted to take advantage of when, when it came up and, uh, it went great. The Italian people are like phenomenal. They don't, they don't have access to nearly as much information and trainers, uh, as we do in the U S and even in the UK from my yeah, understanding. That's, that's what I was. Yeah. Yeah. And they just ate it up. They love because they just never seen the bag. They never seen the bands, and so they just they absolutely they love functional training. So they they really enjoyed it. Hundred percent. It's weird because it's like even if you're tra- if I put it this way, yeah. Unless you're in the, when you're in the know or when you're in circles that are in the know, then it becomes because you're always listening to the because you're in that circle. It, it like for me, it's like what people don't know that gluten's bad, or it's sort of like, um, or whatever it may be. Because we're in that in that sphere, we're always used to. It. But when I was first coming up as a trainer, I was just doing the courses that everyone else did, you know. Until someone mentioned Poliquin to me, and I was like, "Oh, mm-hmm. what's this?" And then from Poliquin, I went to his course, and then then I met other, and then it was Czech, and then I was like, "Oh my god!" And it took years um, to sort of, to, well, not years, but it took. About five years, I know, and a lot of people they don't even want to spend the money on it, or they don't want to know that. They just want to know what they know. So to get into it and to get someone like yourself over there, it's massive because you're going to be teaching them things that are they're not. I mean, you look at the general courses that people go through; they get qualification in six weeks, and they think that they know. A lot of people think they know what they're doing. That's why the Czech stuff, you know, it takes a long time to get qualified. My Poliquin one was longer. We had to do lots of pre-work. We had to do read a certain amount of books when I was going. When we had to go to this, I think it was like a 
even though even like the certification it was like a whole week we had to spend in in, a, in an area um just with with them and it's a big difference and and so like it's for them um it must be quite eye opening like you teaching them the stuff you're doing um because it must be quite different to what they've been they've been doing generally exactly exactly yeah it makes sense so when you when you've um so what so the question I posed you before little a little segue the question I posed you before because I was going to say the biggest concerns you see today with people in, in the fitness industry, but one of the things that keeps coming up at the moment is this sort of movement into psychedelics and mm-hmm. into like um, into yeah ayahuasca uh, etc. So, have you experienced this yourself? What do you, what do you think about this? Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Or is it just something that needs to be taken with care? A hundred percent needs to be taken with care. A hundred percent. And so I have. I do have uh, a fair bit of experience with some of the plant medicines have been it's been a big part of my journey over the last maybe four or so years around the time I started working with Paul and um, just as part of my own personal growth and personal development I found the plant medicines as well as some of the healers that I've been working with have just been an amazing amazing addition to my life it's given me so much more understanding fulfillment and and honestly after almost every plant medicine ceremony, just an incredible amount of empathy and connection and compassion for people and myself, first and foremost. And so I would say it's been it's been a huge addition to my life and so much so that I think in yeah, in October, this isn't a plant medicine, but it uh, works in conjunction with the plant medicines. Are you familiar with something called combo? No, I'm not familiar. I mean, I've heard of it, but I'm not familiar in, um, in, it, in, in depth in any way. Combo is essentially a medicine uh, from the Amazon made from the secretions of a specific frog. It's not psychoactive by any means, but it's used usually in conjunction or as as a pre before plant medicines or as its own type of healing therapy. And essentially what it is is um, it's an incredible cleansing agent, but it also – there's neuroactive – I'm sorry, bioactive peptides that bind to receptors in the brain and it's being used to help heal addiction and depression and essentially what it is is it only lasts like 20 to 40 minutes, 20 to 45 minutes, something like that. And what they do traditionally is they they take incense and they burn little holes in the skin, so small holes in the skin. Then they clean the skin. A practitioner does this. And then they take the secretion from the frog. It almost forms like a resin compound. And then they place it over the skin. Now this secretion or, or poison, if you want to think of it like that, it's not deadly to humans. But it's it's this essentially this frog's defense mechanism and it moves through the skin into general circulation. And it was used by old tribesmen as they call it either hunter's medicine or warrior's medicine because it was used before going on a hunt when the, when the tribesmen were exposed to extreme conditions. Because what it does is it passes in a general circulation and it hyper, hyper, hyper activates the immune system. And so typically, and again, I don't know how, much, how true this is, but they say like, you probably won't get sick for like a year after taking a combo treatment just just simply because it really strengthens the immune system and it pulls a lot of the toxins that you have in your body into this bile-like substance in your gut and it's a very strong purgative and so you're purging for a good amount of the time. But oh, what, yeah. you're, what you're purging is this, this, this just bile-like toxic kind of substance that your body's getting rid of. And not only from a physical standpoint is it incredibly cleansing, but I've also found it hugely beneficial from an emotional perspective because when you, while you're purging, if you also 
do kind of like uh, what we say, like like conscious purging. So whether it's an idea, a belief system, something you're really trying to move past if you're looking for a new start or you feel blocked, you can also verbalize that as you're purging. And so for me, I use it for myself. I almost do maybe like once every one to two months. And then in October, I'll be doing a two-week-long training just because it's something that I truly want to share with people, especially, again, to help people potentially prepare and cleanse and release things before if they were to do a plant medicine ceremony or even just with athletes, for example, like before a fight camp, before because I work primarily with, with combat athletes. And so before an 8 to a 12-week fight camp, before they're going to be under the most extreme stress of, of their life probably up to that point, if they can really increase their vitality, set their intentions, build their system up before a camp and even do it within a team setting with their with their teammates and with their with their tribe it's it's just an incredible bonding experience essentially it's like a rite of passage and that's something a message that i've been getting just to share openly and honestly through the plant medicine ceremonies as something i've kind of been called to to share with young men and warriors uh young warriors out there as they're as they're moving through their life and so even it's not a, a, a psychoactive substance, but it, it's it's. I found it to be hugely beneficial for me, for me personally, by itself, and then also with uh, as as kind of a preface to some of the plant medicines. Awesome. So, when you um, did you did you go down into 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 the Amazon to to learn this? Did you where you first did it? No. So there's uh. So thankfully, the I would say the community that I'm kind of connected to in the Bay Area, the the, the Bay Area has quite a quite a strong and flowering plant medicine community. And so combo, because it works so well with the plant medicines, uh, I know friends who are practitioners, but uh, essentially my goal and my plan is there's a two, there's one organization called the IAKP that is in, um, they're all over the world, but I'll be doing their two week long training right by the Canada border in October. And then after that, my plan is to actually go to the Amazon and actually learn how to cultivate the medicine from the frogs in the jungle. But first, this organization does, from my understanding, I've got a few friends who went through the education. They tend to be very um, like science-oriented, and they go through a lot of the risk factors. So they're very, for like a Western mind, I heard they're, they're, they're quite good, and I've had great experiences through, through friends' experiences. And then I definitely want to go through the jungle and learn how to, once again, connect with the medicine, the source of it and then uh, and cultivate it. But first, I'm going to start there. And in the meantime, uh, I'm assisting cer- these ceremonies as well, just learning how to hold space and work with people a little bit more. But uh, I'm not by any means practicing or anything like that right now, just doing it for my own health and healing and then to be in that space. Awesome. So you've done its uh, combo? Yes, K-A-M-B-O. K-E-M-B-O, okay, yeah. cool. So And it sounds very interesting to something like that for because someone like myself loves it had a very weak constitution always been building all this purging toxins that sounds like something that would be very interesting to do have you had you say you have a plant medicine um, plant medicine journeys have you done dmt yes and how was your experience on that well so most of my experience with the dmt comes through ayahuasca ceremonies okay uh, so in that in that kind of form and um did you purge heavy on that as well what's that did you purge heavy with that as well yeah yeah, yeah. Usually, the, yeah, I tend to have some pretty, uh, some pretty powerful, strong purges with that. Yeah. I, I was just in Costa Rica at a at a fantastic healing center called Salterra, and they only focus on their traditional Shipibo healers who serve the medicine, and they just focus on ayahuasca. And so, some of the other 
medicine retreats and stuff that I've been on, they might mix certain medicine, not mix, but use, let's say, hape or uh, sananga, which is a uh, hape is a type of tobacco that the, the healers tend to blow up the nose. Sananga is a, a type of eye drop that comes from a flower. Uh, the, the hape is more masculine. The sananga is more feminine. And a lot of times I've, I've seen those and used those in conjunction with the ayahuasca. But in, in Saltara in Costa Rica, they just use ayahuasca. And it was such a fantastic experience and such a powerful life-changing experience that in May I'm bringing a, a group of people down there to return uh, for an extended trip uh, with, with, those, with that community and, and at Saltara as well. Awesome, man. That sounds awesome. How do how you spell Saltara? Uh, S-O-L-T. A R A. That sounds awesome. If you've got another space in May, give me a shout. I've got another mate. That, um, so another friend of mine has been very interested in this because it's one of the areas that want to want to want to do it. Want to find out a lot more about it. I've been researching quite a lot, but um, want to do it with the with with the right people or like with the right organization because it's the thing that worries me a little bit is people like ourselves who have been in international health for a long period of time understand what it's like doing it with a cleansed body understand the mental emotional aspects of it a lot of this is being pushed out to i'd say the general public who sometimes i don't know if they're ready for certain things when their lives are very toxic or very unbalanced Wondering whether this can push them into maybe it can do the absolute opposite. Maybe it can really cleanse them. Maybe it can really heal them. But sometimes some experiences I hear people go through, um, they sound like I think I think Paul described it once, almost like shattering the mirror. And then when you come back to reality, the, the mirror is still broken, and people don't know how to to go around that. Would you say that that's, that's something they could be wary about, or do you think most people will just be fine doing it either way? No, I would say a hundred percent, and and I would totally totally agree with that because. One of the things I found so special about Saltara is more than probably any other place that I've been to, they have such an emphasis on the integration part. Like, in fact, like there's actually a psychotherapist on staff there. They, we did uh, – it was a eight-day trip when I was out there just a few months ago. And they had um, I think three to four specific one- to two-hour meetings throughout the trip focusing on integration. They gave you an integration journal – and during every time you would have an integration meeting led by some of their facilitators, there would be a different theme. So you would, we would talk about trauma. We would talk about the shadow side. We would talk about what's coming up in ceremony. What are you going to do when you go home? And I feel like all, most all of the work on this medicine, it just from my personal experience, for it to truly benefit your life in a healthy and, and, and holistic way, it has to be about the integration. That is probably the single bit biggest missing piece that I tend to see from most plant medicine circles and communities is it's more around the peak experience, which can be beautiful, certainly. But if you don't know how to navigate that space, you're not supported and you don't have the tools when you leave. It's like the lessons, the downloads that you get, they're very fleeting and like it's like, how are you going to be a better person when you leave? Because hopefully we're doing this to enrich our lives, to be more loving, to be more compassionate, to be more empathetic, to be a better servant with, to society and to our fellow man and woman. And so I really appreciated more than any other place I'd been to was the pre, so that you also have a call with one of their facilitators before you go to talk. When you're there, you have those multiple meetings. You also have people you can talk to when you're there. When you leave, there also is like a check-in call as well. And so I haven't found 
a space that not only had that setup in it and also the healers they had the there was a husband and wife healer and the male was um practicing for 30 years pretty much had been born in the tradition and then his wife has been practicing for about 15 years also born in the tradition her mom her grandmother and so I've never I've never felt so supported in a way that all you really had to do was show up, be open and willing to do the work, and then everything else was taken care of for you. Like they had a, an organic chef there, so all of the food cooked was healthy, holistic food, very nourishing. And then again, you had the support on the integration side, and then you had the really just amazing healers there, and then the space was just absolutely beautiful. So that's really why um, – so if you are interested or anyone listening to the podcast, the next – the one that we'll be bringing a group of people is May 19th through the 25th, and it's called The Realness Retreat. And anyone can just email me or shoot me an Instagram message. Um, I'm going to be there. Uh, th- we're going to keep the exact kind of schedule that we had when I went on this recent trip to Salterra because I thought it was so fantastic, the integration meetings and everything. But then myself and two other friends who are also coming will be teaching as options, as additional options for anyone who wants. Uh, like I'll be teaching some Eldoa, like an Eldoa class, a myofascial stretching class, some breath work. And so it's kind of outside of the schedule, but it's just to provide those people who do want to do, let's say, uh, at night or in the morning, want to just do some extra stretching and stuff like that. Um, so it's going to be really cool. It'll be – I'll be contributing a little bit outside I won't have anything to do with the medicine itself, uh, but in terms of supporting people through some breath work and stretching, et cetera, uh, we're going to offer that as well in addition to the kind of the, the schedule that Saltara has. Oh, that sounds awesome, man, and uh, definitely be looking into it. The, real, the uh, realness retreat um, sounds good. It's something because I've got one of my uh, very good friends. He's um, very much into this as well. It's something that just looking to expand. You know, it's just like the next level, I feel, like having been through doing a lot of, um, you know, getting the mindfulness Qigong, tai, tai Chi, obviously looking at the movement aspect, the food, and I think it's the next stage of just releasing certain things, um, which, should, which should be good, especially certain patterns or certain uh, processes that you've been, you know, I think Paul said the other day, one of these questions that he asked people, um, asked, and probably asked you this as well, he said, uh, how many of your thoughts or negative thoughts about yourself are actually from you, and how many are actually from other people, or like um, your parents, family, did he, did he ask you that? In in a different way, yes, yeah. In a, in a, yeah. That that's been because that's actually been something I've been really working on through the medicine is just understanding what the hell is mine, like what exactly is mine, and what you know, what is you know, love my parents to death, but like what is theirs, what is you know their values, and, and really trying to dig deeper and understanding like who I am at a deeper level and what's important to me, what my values are. And so the medicines I've found to be, especially when they're combined with a, with a with a serious and mindful practice around the integration portion, have have really been beneficial in terms of just understanding and releasing stuff and shit that's just not mine, and that's been incredibly empowering. And um, yeah, I, I, I really I, I would totally agree with that. That's been very true for me as well. No, that's awesome. So Mike, just to uh, what would you, what would you say <clears throat> at the moment? <clears throat> Excuse me. If you see the biggest c- concern you see in society today, or with people in general, like as you know, we look at things from health and fitness, and, and the problem is we've been a holistic health coach. You know, we go into everything because it affects everything. What do you think would be like 
you say like or maybe your 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 top three biggest concerns that you see today with with society or just with, with people in general in in terms of the way the world is heading or where we're heading it seems um because this it seems to be a, a big movement taking place for me i would just say what comes off what comes up for me right now just honestly off the top of my head and off the top of my heart is food you know how we nourish ourselves because i feel like that is just with, without that, it's going to change our biochemistry, how we think, how we feel, how we interact with people, and not only what we put in, but also how we interact with, with the foods that we choose and our soils and like so much of – and I you know, first learned this from Paul about just getting closer to the source of our food. Like so much of my life was simply only going to the store and where I you know, thought meat come, came from was from a saran wrap package. Right, I would only see uh, London broil steak in a package, but I had no idea what farmer raised that cow, where that came from, what it was being fed, how it was being treated. And so now going to the farm, so every year I try and support a local farm. I've been doing it for almost eight years now, where every year I go to a local farm, husband and wife farm, 100% grass-fed, grass-finished beef. I can walk their farm. I can see how the cows are living, how they're being treated. Every year I get a whole beef, and so I have a big uh, freezer actually right over here in my gym. And it feels just amazing to, one, see where the food's coming from, to support the local people, to support people who are putting back good stuff into the soil. And not only does the food taste so much better and, and so much more nourishing, but I just feel like I can eat with a little bit more of a good conscience um, because I'm doing things that not only are supportive to me but supportive to the environment, supportive to the world. So I would say honestly, getting back to the to to the real source of health, which is you know getting back to eating high quality food and supporting the people that are growing it and supporting that. So for me, I would say the number one problem is is surrounding around food because I feel like from there, then we have the energy, the vitality, the mental clarity to to enact good change. But if we're you know if we're eating shit quality food. And we're, if we're supporting industrial farming and, and, and commercial, commercially raised uh, beef and, and animals, it's like just our values are backwards. And I think something Paul shared with me that, that I'm, it's always stuck with me is like when you go and you know, I live right down the street from four fast food joints. Uh, you, you go right down my street and it's like a fast food circle. You have like uh, Pizza Hut, Carl's Jr., McDonald's, and Taco Bell like on a corner. And it's like, and I and I drive every every day. I go to the freeway. Busy. Uh, it's just it's packed. And then there's nice cars going through it. It's like you're going for a ninety nine. I have no idea, but a ninety nine cents Big Mac or what an extra value meal. And you got people driving Teslas. You got or whatever it is. You got people driving just expensive cars, and BMWs, Mercedes. And I'm just like, what is going on? You know, like there's something drastically a problem with that. And it's like so much of what I hear, you know, working with people or even when I hear other trainers work with people on a nutrition, nutritional standpoint is like, oh, I can't afford that. I can't afford that. Well, I mean, even if you have space for a freezer, right, just buy a freezer. It doesn't, you know, cost that much. I've got almost 500 pounds. So let's say I don't even know, maybe like 200 plus kilos of, of 100% grass fed, grass finished, locally sourced meat that I can drive 50 miles from my, from my house and see the the organic pastures and and the land that these these cows are, are grazing on, 
And it only costs me now that there's more of a grass fed, grass finished movement. The price has gone up in the last eight years. But I remember eight years ago, I was spending, shoot, probably like under $3 a pound. For if you get like a T-bone or a yeah. fillet, you're taking like $35, $40, yeah. something like that, or yeah. a high, high 20s. And now it's raised to probably like high sixes, uh, almost doubled because of the demand. But at the same time, it's still a fraction of a fraction of the cost, not to even mention how good it feels to eat it. And so when I'm out there teaching and traveling, the sleep for me is the hardest thing when I'm traveling because of the time zones, etc., which just means for me, all the other aspects of my self-management have to be on point because when I'm teaching, it's like, it's not, it's not, it's not about you. It's about the students. And so if I'm going to come a hundred percent ready and, and vital and, and ready to share information and share everything I can to help the students, it's like, I got to make sure that I'm taking care of myself. So, you know, doing a meditative practice and, or the foods that I can eat, taking snacks. Sometimes if I can't get to, um, if there's no good grocery store where I'm teaching, before I go, I do this all the time. I'll cook, vacuum seal, and pack in freezer bags uh, my food. And it, I've, I'll usually travel in two lunch bags, about 14 meals. And so, or I'll even fast with that. So I'll take that on the road. As long as I can get a small fridge, it'll last. And I've literally got enough food for one to three meals a day. And if I choose to fast because I can't get access to high quality food, at least I know I'm not going to have gut issues while I'm there. At least I know I'm going to be providing as much energy and value to the students as I can. But if I'm eating crap when I'm on my road, the road, it's like I'm going to be showed up, showing up dead to this. Especially if I'm used to eating good quality food. So I would say for me, as I'm even sharing this to you, and I'm like <laughs> getting more and more uh, certain that it's it's food for me as as the number one thing that we can really work on as as a, as a nation and as a world. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, when people travel, they always what well, my clients say. So, what do you have when you're at the airport? You're traveling, and so well, either fast, or I could take my own food on a plane. <laughs> and then I, you can take your own food. You can't do that. Like, yeah, you can. I've been doing it for ten years. I've been cooking my food, and I've just been taking it on the plane. And everyone else, I'm like, I wish everyone did what I do because when all your food comes round and gets hits your hits your plate or hits your tray. It stinks to high heaven and it makes me feel physically sick, the aeroplane food, you know. It just smells, it's like, oh, terrible. Um, whereas if you have your own food, I mean, even if it's like chicken, mashed potato, a little bit of courgette, or carrots in there, whatever it is, you know, you can have like a nice meal, you can sit there and actually enjoy it. Um, but that's huge, definitely the food. What you said there as well about people, um, people with this fast food, I reckon that even it's like this movement, you see it's like this, I mean, you've got this whole vegan movement and you've also got this whole sort of like social justice warrior thing going on. In America, it's wackadoo, it's 10 times worse than it is over here, but I wonder if a lot of that comes from these people that are eating these toxic foods, they're completely malnourished, they're completely fried, and it just affects, it affects obviously their hormonal, hormonal balance, it affects their mental clarity uh, it affects their energy um and all these toxins i wonder if they're they uh i mean obviously i know it, it disrupts their health but i wonder if it adds to their sort of rage and their sort of like uh yeah their mental emotional stability you know what do you reckon mike yeah i would i would agree with that i would say i mean they're, they're, they work hand in hand for yeah. sure yeah no i think it's something that's uh, yeah definitely food plays a huge part as you said there you know i mean where you are 
when I was there last summer, uh, went through San Diego and was in Venice Beach, they got some, I think, in Little Italy, they got a, some phenomenal farmer's markets. So, I mean, we've got some good farms over here. And I think it was on a Sunday, they had, I actually made some really good connections over there. You got some they, the people selling their brilliant toothpaste, I think it was dirt, uh, what was the company? <laughs> They had like, um, yeah, they got like all the, all the, home. these are all people out there making organic or vegan, vegan products or whatever, they got bone broth, they got all the farmers there, I bought some phenomenal raw honey from California, still got it, um, <clears throat> up and down, you can get it, and it's, and it's all quality, and you can get it in, I'm sure you've got markets in San Francisco, right, or in the Bay Area? Yeah, I feel like I'm really spoiled where I live, uh, you know, I was just in Columbus, Ohio for the Arnold Sports Festival, and it's like, those are two drastically different parts of, of the country. So I feel very spoiled because we have San Francisco, the East Bay, so Berkeley, Oakland as a huge community, even the South Bay, San Jose, Santa Clara, that area. And literally walking down my street right across from the fast food joints, we have every Saturday a farmer's market. Uh, that's all a lot of organic food. So I that's feel ironic, very spoiled. isn't it? Yeah, really ironic. <laughs> <laughs> but when I was in Columbus, Ohio – like it's totally different and you can see even though the Arnold is, is a worldwide event in the sense like it attracts people all over the world mm. when I was training for that that one month trip with Louis Simmons at Westside Barbo when I was younger you know that's in Columbus as well and it's like you could see how that part of the world how just the people look different and it, I'm stereotyping you know I'm, I'm talking in general but they're like very very big humans and a lot a lot more than where I live right now are more overweight and obese and so, you know, they don't have access. It's just not a part of their, their culture. But in the Bay Area, it's just a melting pot of so many cultures and so many different traditions. And it's, it's a very progressive area. So I, I feel very blessed and fortunate to be where I'm at for sure. Oh, yeah, 100%. I'm going to let you go, Mike. But uh, one quick last one. What about 5G in your area? How's that coming on? What's that? 5G in your area, the Bay Area. I know like California is like the hub of, of technology. So how is, uh, is, that, is that being rolled out yet? Is that, is that up and running yet, 5, 5G? You know what? I, I really wish I knew. I have no idea. Right, I'm, yeah. like, I'm not, not very up to date on that side of stuff. Oh, mate. So I can't really, yeah, I can't really speak, uh, speak to it. I have no clue. Okay, okay. Looking to, <laughs> I look, was really stupid that I didn't even know there was a, like 5G, to be honest. So. Oh, Mike, this is, uh, yeah, this, just, is, this, is the yeah. New, this is like the new way they're going to... Uh, you know, if you don't want to vaccinate, you don't. You, well, for some states anyway, you, you can't vaccinate. If you want to, don't want to stay away from the toxins in your food. You can buy organic. If you want to have clean water, you can get a filtration system in your house. Um, you know, if if you want to change toxic clothes and synthetic materials, you can do that. You can't get away from this five G, and it's uh, mm -hmm. the next big thing. It's uh, have a little research into it. I think you might have some petitions. You've got some petitions over here, some petitions over there. You want to um, having um, I've got. I don't know if you know. Do you know who Dr. Deborah Davis is? Heard of her? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've had a great interview of her, and if you can look up any of the interviews of her, she's like the world leading authority on this. And uh, some awesome. bad news. Some bad news. But um, yeah, awesome, Michael. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Um, definitely hit me up with um, the dates that you're coming to London, and I can put it out there to see if, where, uh, where you're going to be. But um, yeah, it's an absolute pleasure, and I wish you uh, all the best going forward, my man. Where's the best place for people to um, to find you? Yes, so I'm most active on social media on Instagram, and uh, it's just Mike.Salemi, S-A-L-E-M-I. And then my website is MikeSalemi.io. And so on there, you can see what events I'm going to be teaching around the world, 
And then also uh, the link to my new kettlebell program. If people want to learn more information about that, right on the homepage, there's a link. But a social media is the, the best place. So if anyone has any questions or wants to register for any of the retreats or come to any courses, would love to have you. Shoot me a message either through the website or on Instagram. Those are the best places to find me. Awesome, my man. Thanks very much. Great speaking to you. Thank you so much. Great, great chatting with you, brother. So, guys, that was Mike Salimi from MikeSalimi.io. Uh, and you can find him there. There's lots of his, uh, his about me there. He's got his services, his products. He's got his different podcasts have been on. Um, and, yeah, he's a real fascinating guy, a real lovely guy to talk to. And someone who knows, uh, been around the block, been through his own injuries, scratched his own itch. And now he's looking to delve more into different different avenues and plant-based medicines and just teach people what he knows and go around. And, you know, if he's, if he's in London and you can get to one of one of his events I definitely would uh, suggest that he's someone who's going to he's going to open your eyes and he's going to show you I mean there's all different ways of training but the, the functional aspect I say functional in quotation marks because you know everything is functional but things where we, it's, it's, it's like 360 training and actually getting to know your body being very flexible using um, training in a way to to keep keep us supple and strong and flexible um, which is absolutely key. And um, you said before, you know, this is someone who uh, I'm going to get on the show in the future. You'll try and get him and Warren on at the same time, have a great little uh, chat, the three of us, be um, just just to start, just chew the fat about natural health and what we see going on in the world. Um, also, guys and girls, if you haven't already, please head on over to um, my Facebook page, you're ready to see a petition for 5G. I really would like you to sign that. Anyone in the UK, there's ones as well going around America. We want to try and stop this production of 5G as much as we can. It is going to be, I mean, it's the thing you can't get away from. I say all the time, you cannot, you can opt out of vaccines, you can buy organic food, you can clean your water supply up. But when it comes to it, you know, you can't get away from this 5G unless we do something about it. So please go and sign that petition. If you if you can't find it on my site, just go to petitions.gov and you should be able to find it on the government website. Uh, as always, guys and girls, head on over to www.reviveyourself.co for our shop and for all different articles and podcast episodes. And if you are looking for help with overcoming a chronic health issue and you haven't been able to get any any sort of any sort of relief going the traditional routes then give me a shout at ryan at reviveyourself.co and we'll be able to put you in for a free call and see if and how we can help you. It's the best way to contact me. Otherwise, guys and girls, that's it for this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. As always, stay happy, stay healthy, and I'll see you on the other side. Bye-bye. If you're struggling with gut issues, such as gas, bloating, constipation, diarrhea, indigestion, heartburn, and want to finally be able to eat the foods you love without the crippling after effects, then don't forget to head over to reviveyourself.co and pick up your free copy of The Healing Health Paradigm today.